0: Good to be in the Lord's house. Can you say amen to that? I'm Pastor Darrell Owens here at Calvary Church in Buena Park, and we've just invited our internet guests to come in and join our worship service this morning. And I'm speaking to you today about ashes to ashes, or ashes on Wednesday, or why we don't do ashes on Wednesday. Is there anyone here that has a, a, a background of some denomination where you go in at the beginning of Lent and they put a little uh, bit of ashes on your forehead today. Well, I'm not here to put that down because I appreciate everybody that's preaching the gospel or teaching the gospel in any way that brings people to Christ. But as for me, I do not bow down before God in humility and shame and repent of sin and carnality on Ash Wednesday. Why not? Because there's no need to repent of sin that's already been forgiven. To bow down before God and repent of sin forgiven is like going out into the graveyard and digging up bones. Nobody would do that. If you're a born again child of God, you're already forgiven of sin and made righteous before God in Christ. You're covered by the blood of the cross And made righteous by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And while I appreciate the intent and the idea of once again remembering and repenting of our old sins forgiven, I don't want to do that. Because I don't like to dig up yesterday's history and go back and and go through it again. Because when you speak to God about sins forgiven, He has already not only forgiven them, forgotten them, And put them away so that he says, what are you talking about? What are you talking about when you're talking to God about your sins? He said, we already dealt with that. Have you met my son? So stop repenting. Get up off your face. Wipe the ashes off your forehead and look to the resurrection as your complete guarantee of sin forgiven. Never allow anyone to condemn you or cause you to condemn yourself. You are forgiven once and for all. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who have come to God by Christ. When Jesus drank of the cup in the garden of Gethsemane, at that moment he took upon himself all sin, and bore it to the cross to be atoned once and for all. He did not become a sinner, but he became sin, and he died for all sin. Now here's our text. 2 Corinthians 5.21, just one verse. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of, of God in him. If you can only give me one verse of Paul's writings, only one word from the apostle, I'll take this one. Amen. Because it is your contractual guarantee that your sins are forgiven and you're made righteous Amen. in God's eyes. But before I get into this very much, very deep, I want to define for you. Now, my wife has made, made the statement several times that I'm a person of specific words. And my daughters would tell you that too. As a matter of fact, I like. I think we ought to say what we mean and mean what we say. And I've told my grandson, he can verify this, don't tell me what I know, tell me what I need to know. You know, and don't tell me what it's like, tell me what it is. Specific words. So when I approach the scriptures, I believe that every one of those words are specifically there for a reason. So, when we get into this verse, the first thing it says is that He has made Him to be sin for us. We must define the He and the Him. Who is the He? Who is the Him? Specifically, it is God the Father is the He, and Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the Him. So we need to state it like this, God made Jesus Christ his son to be sin. Wow, what an incredible statement that is. First of all, to my oneness friends, I would ask you to tell me how that could possibly be if there were only one. For the father made the son to be sin. God made Jesus Christ to be sin. And Jesus was God himself. Jesus was very God. So how could God make God to become sin? It's almost like saying God himself became sin in our place. Not the father himself, but the son on the cross became sin For you and for me. Isn't that beautiful? How that God, you know, in most religions, in many religions, we try to make ourselves good enough to be received of God. And that's what this thing is all about as we go through fasting and prayers and this thing and something else and, you know, repenting over and over and over because we are still We're still living in our own carnality. We're still living in the memory of our flesh being in control. And we want to try to make ourselves better so that maybe if I do this or if I do that or if I do something else, I'll be good enough that God will receive me. You can give your body to be burned, the apostle said, and it will not be enough to please God. So since man couldn't become like God, God became man. He made him, God made the son to become sin. Now let's talk about the sin. Very specifically, he does not say that he was made to be a sinner. And a lot of people want to take on that identity. I've heard people say, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. That is an impossibility. You cannot be a sinner and be saved by grace. Once you've been saved by grace, you are no longer a sinner. He was not made to be a sinner, but he was made to be sin. There is a huge difference because the individual personal sinner believes that he's only responsible for the sins that he committed. If you were arrested and taken to, to a court for a crime somebody else did, you would get you an attorney and the attorney would say, he could not possibly have done that because he was at another place at another time doing another thing and here's the proof. And since you didn't do it, you would not be convicted of it. So the sinner believes that he only has to repent of his own sin. I'm going to show you where that's not true in a little bit. But who became sin walked up before the judge of the whole earth, and he said, every sin that's ever been committed, every wrong that's ever been done, every unrighteous deed that has ever happened, I'll take it all. It'd be like going into the restaurant. Let's just take a high-dollar restaurant. It'd be like going into Ruth Chris on Tuesday, uh, February the 14th, and looking around at all these couples in here eating all these expensive meals and telling the manager, I'll pay the whole bill. You know what would happen? People would be wanting to pay their own bill. They would say, I don't know who paid my bill. I want to pay my own bill. Because we want to take responsibility for our own sin. But Jesus walked into the garden of Gethsemane and the cup was presented to him, which contained every sin that had ever been done from the beginning until the end of the world. And Jesus said, I'll drink the whole cup. And that's the reason that he wept before the father. And he said, if there's any other way, let this cup, pass from me but nevertheless not my will but thine be done the sin of mankind Jesus took upon himself and when he died upon that cross he did not die as one man a sinner would die but he died as every man, woman, boy, girl that ever committed any sin and we all have was taken care of Right there. God made him to be sin, the whole thing. He was not made to be sinner, but he's made to be sin. And the scripture says, cursed is every man that hangs on a tree. In Galatians, I believe it is, says God has concluded us all under sin so that the grace of God might be the same to all men. Can you imagine being the judge of the earth? And having to judge every person by all their deeds. And I know that the scripture talks in a place about standing for God and giving account of all of our deeds. And that we will be rewarded for our deeds, etc. But the idea that every person has to be judged individually by their sin is a misconception. That's not what it says. He became sin. Because God looked at down upon man and he said, I cannot judge this one for that and another one for this and another one for this because how do you even prove what everybody did? We would be denying it. We'd be pleading our case. So he concluded, Scripture says, he concluded, God concluded, that all of us were under sin, that is, guilty of the same act. And therefore, all of us could be forgiven by the same act that's why we can forgive others It's because God for Christ's sake has forgiven us. If you're forgiven, they're forgiven. If I'm forgiven, you're forgiven because only the offended can forgive. And God was the one offended. So he, and only he can forgive and he can forgive only by the blood of Christ. Now sin is demonstrated in three components and I'll go over them quickly. First of all, we are born into the condition of sin. Romans 5, because Adam sinned, we all are sin. We all are in sin. You don't have to do anything to be a sinner. You're born that way. You're born in the condition, the natural state of sin. Now, some denominations believe that when you're a baby, you're born in sin, of course. So we take the little baby and we baptize the baby, and that gets rid of his natural sin. And then he only has to worry about the stuff that he's actually done. Well, that's pretty tough because a two-year-old can't even know what he did, let alone repent. And by the time we get to be 28, we've, lost, we've forgotten most of it and won't admit the rest. So this business of remembering individual sins is really pretty difficult. So God says, I'm going to conclude that you're all under sin because you're all born under the flag of sin. You're all born in flesh. You inherited it from Adam, your father. So that's the condition of sin. Secondly, we bear the acts, the deeds of sin. And that's the part that we kind of, <laughs> you know, we, we have to mess with that. Denominations have to mess with that a lot. Uh, churches have to mess with that. As a matter of fact, you can go from one church to another to another, and different things are sin. How do you keep it all straight? Well, I, I, you know i like to do this or that, so I'll go to that church. They don't preach as a sin to that. And it's amazing how they change. I, I said to somebody the other day, is God going to have to let all of these people out of hell that went there for doing something that's not a sin anymore? You know what I'm talking about. I don't have to get into it, but, you know, little tiny, little dinky nothing things used to be preached about as if they were a the terrible sin. The acts, of sin, the acts of sin matter. The deeds that you have done <clears throat> do matter. They do make a difference. But that is not all there is to sin. You could live a life. As a matter of fact, I know some folks that live great lives. They never do anything wrong. We would, they live a clean Christian life, but they have never given their heart to the Lord. So they are not saved by their acts must be saved by redemption, by confession, repentance. So you have the condition of sin, you have the acts of sin, the deeds of sin, and then we have the state of sin. That is the world in which we live. How many of you know we live in a world that is, that is under condemnation? Uh, Paul says in Romans 8, the whole creation groaneth and travaileth until now, waiting for the redemption to wit the redemption of their bodies. And so what he's saying is that the whole planet Is in turmoil. The whole planet is in despair. The whole earth is groaning for deliverance from God. And so are we as children of God groaning for deliverance of our bodies. But we groan and we travail now with these bodies. Of course, the young ones are not quite so hard as the older ones. But the younger ones will get in trouble faster than the older ones do. Somebody told me the other day the greatest cause of injury to old men is old men thinking they're still young men. <laughs> I've been told lately you can't climb that ladder like that. You got to ask for help to pick that up. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to ask for help. I want to do that myself. Thanks to my family and friends, I've had the help I need. I'm getting better, by the way. And I have a goal in mind. By Easter Sunday, I'm going to be standing up preaching to you on Easter Sunday. Pray with me. I've already claimed it is going to be. I could do it today, but I'm saving it for Easter. We live in a condition of sin, a state of sin. And the, the deeds that we commit, it's like <laughs> last night we started to go to bed and, and we have a new neighbor behind us and they have a dog and a pretty dog, a cute dog, wonderful dog. But I don't want to listen to that dog bark all night long. Do you? And he wasn't just barking. She was crying. She wanted in the house. They left her out. Let me in, let me in, let me in. And I started to go over there and let her in her, in our house. I felt so, so, but I knew that wasn't going to work. <laughs> But you can't blame the dog for barking. You got to blame the owner for letting her. And that's the way with the sinner. You can't blame the sinner for sinning. That's what they do. That's the nature. That's what we do. That's what we live for. People that want to do, I don't understand the desires. I don't understand what motivates somebody to do some of the things that people do. I don't have those desires. I don't have that lust of the flesh. I cannot for the life of me understand why any man with a beautiful, loving wife and family would go outside of his home and and, and do something that would destroy his family. And I don't understand people who will do that. But the nature of our hearts is what drives the acts that we do. So he said that he was made sin for us. Who is the us? We got the he and the him. Now let's define the us. The us is whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can be one of the us. You see, man is helplessly and hopelessly fallen in the condition of sin and cannot in any way save himself. God does not send the sinner to hell. The sinner is already destined to hell from birth. God sent his son, Jesus, to the earth to save the sinner from hell. And we call that the doctrine of substitution. When Pilate let Barabbas go and crucified Jesus, he demonstrated the act of substitution, one in the place of the other. I have no problem understanding that. I have no problem teaching that. The cross where Jesus was slain was built for Barabbas, where Jesus there suffered while Barabbas ran free. The worst sinner of all the three went free. The other two were only thieves. Barabbas was a murderer. Pilate gave them no easy way out. He didn't want to crucify Jesus. He didn't give them the choice of Jesus or one of the thieves. He said, Jesus or Barabbas. And a gasp came across the room. Oh, no, Barabbas. But they hated Jesus so much and had wanted him crucified so badly that they said, release Barabbas. And Jesus, the, the Pilate said, what shall I do with Jesus? And they said, crucify Jesus him and let his blood be upon us and our children. That's easy to understand. Jesus taking, Jesus taking your place on Calvary. How many of you lift you said, I understand that. I believe that I received that. I know it's right, but here's the part that's hard. We became the righteousness of God in Christ. We who were unrighteous became righteous. We who were sinners became without sin. We were hopelessly lost, became forever, eternally bound to the righteousness of Christ in the presence of God. I don't have a problem knowing that Jesus took my place on Calvary. I just can't understand why he would want me to take his place as a righteous man to stand before God with standing in the throne room of heaven, just as if I were Jesus, he gave us his righteousness. We became righteousness while he became sin. Now that is the hardest part to teach the church because we live in the memory of our carnality. We live in the memory of our sin. We live in the memory of our deeds and it's hard for us to think about the fact that when God looks down upon us, He looks the, through the same eyes as if we were Jesus Christ Himself. He receives you as He receives His own Son. And I conclude with a verse that's the beginning of this phrase 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead be reconciled to God. Not only have we been reconciled to him, we have been brought into his family, into his fellowship, into sonship with God. And he says, now you are my ambassadors to the world. Righteous, forgiven, standing in the presence of God with the authority and power of the Holy Ghost. He says, you are my ambassadors. And yet we go through life sometimes with our head hanging in despair and frustration and fear and doubt when God has created us to be his ambassadors, to lift up his name. And even though Christ drank the bitter cup of sin and became sin for us, In doing so, he did not lose his own righteousness before God. We exchanged with him our sin and he exchanged with us his righteousness. But in doing so, it was a righteous act. And therefore, even he could take sin and still retain his righteousness before the Father. Only God can do that. He was doing the righteous thing. And I believe, friend, as long as you're doing the righteous thing. You're an ambassador for Christ. Whenever you stumble, whenever you fall, whenever things go wrong, don't despair. Don't repent like a sinner. Don't repent like you've never been a son. Because you're still his child, no matter what. My favorite parable is the parable... Of the father who never gave up. Even though his son left him, went to a foreign country, spent all that he had, and he said, I know what I'll do when he found himself in the hog pen or the pig pen. He said, I'll go back and ask my father if I can be hired back again as a servant. See, he was so condemned in what he'd done. He said, I'll go, The servants eat better than I do. I'm going to go back and be a servant in my father's house. But the moment he got back to his father and started trying to make his little speech, all he said was, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, no longer worthy to be called your son. He said, shut that stuff up. Stop that. Stop that. I can almost imagine him shaking him. Stop that. Bring me a robe. Put the robe on his back. Bring me a ring. Put it on his finger. Bring me some shoes. The best we got in the house, give it to him. And now go out there and slay the the, the calf I've I've been preparing. Slay that calf that I've been fattening up for this day. We're going to rejoice because my son has come home. You will never be a servant in your father's house. And once you're his child, he will never deny you. He will always know you. And whatever happens in your life, don't come back to God like a wretched sinner. Come back to him like a son who's realized you were going the wrong way and come back to your father and say, Father, I'm here. I'm here. I want to be your son. I, I want to act like your son again. I've been your son all along. Now I want to act like it. That's what God is calling you to do today. Now, if you're hearing this message and you feel like you've kind of strayed away from the father, I brought this just for you today I brought just this for you so you can get up off your knees, get up off your face wipe the ashes off your forehead, wash the the pig slop off your life get the junk out of your life that doesn't belong there, come to the Father rejoicing because you are the righteousness of God in Christ find you a church of people if you're anywhere within 100 miles come right here, this is where you belong If you're further than 100 miles, catch a plane and get here anyway. Because God's got a word for you. And I believe God's going to do something in this place. And I want to pray for you right now. Father, you never, ever forget one of your children. You never just say, oh, I gave up on him. You never give up on any of us. And you're ready today to receive sons. To receive sons in your kingdom. And I pray today that anyone that's listening to me today is straight away from the Father. Well, turn around right now and come back to God. And say, Father, I want to be your son again. I want to act like your son today. And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. And I pray the Father, I pray the Lord will keep you, bless you, be in your heart, be in your spirit, give you a wonderful day, and give you a joyful, a joyful day. Celebration knowing that you are his child in Christ's name.